With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Since making his debut, Drickus Duplessis has been synonymous with one thing. Exciting fights. For that laugh. Oh, he got rocked. Down goes the champion with a big shot. That came from nowhere. Duplessis in there. It's all over. And for that reason, he's been able to climb up the UFC's middleweight division in thrilling fashion. But who is he really outside of all that? His past performances before the UFC, his whole kickboxing career, growing up in South Africa, and the experiences that shaped who he is today. So fittingly for this video, I've been lucky enough to sit down with the man himself to go through it all. Hello, Jason. Your setup looks really good. Oh, thank you. No, it's just, uh, it's just my phone. Really? Yeah, the new iPhone's amazing. Dude, that's actually blowing my mind. Like, that looks so much better no, than I'm just, I was I'm just joking. We got a whole TV set up, this, uh, and the camera and everything. <laughs> so, I'm Jason from MMA on Point. A massive shout out to our channel Hall of Famers who make videos like this possible. And today, I'm breaking down 10 interesting facts about Drickus Duplessis. Number 10, a fighting family. Drickus Duplessis was born on January 14th, 1994. I swear I didn't plan to upload this video literally on his 30th birthday, but here we are. He was born in the Free State Province of South Africa, and he talked to us about what that was like. Dad, I grew up in an incredible family with, with a great, great mother, father, an incredible upbringing. While I was born in a small town, welcome in the Free State here in South Africa, and then moved to Harpierstwood Dam, where I finished high school. And then after high school, I came to Pretoria to study and obviously chased my dream of being a, a professional MMA fighter. But uh, yeah, I'm the youngest of, of three brothers. And uh, yeah, we're, we're really close. We're best friends and, and uh, we support each other. And so the reason I titled this entry around his family's combat experience is because he definitely wasn't the only one who got into martial arts growing up. All, all of this, uh, both my brothers are national champions in judo multiple times. And uh, that's how I got into martial arts. Uh, they were uh, training judo. Uh, my one brother is four years older than me, the other one's seven years older than me. And they, they both, like I said, national champions. So, I mean, I, I grew up in an environment where we did, as an extracurricular activity, we did uh, judo. The middle brother, Neil, he also fought in MMA and he even fought on one of the same cards in EFC with Drickus. Pretty cool. 
So it was this environment where he honed his competitive drive through a variety of sports, including rugby, which he wanted to do for a living growing up at one point. Meanwhile, in South Africa, there's a little bit more to consider than that. Number nine, South Africa and crime. So the more you look into the country, and as you've heard from many people like Michael Bisbing, who had a harrowing experience in the country himself. Uh, so we're filming in Cape Town. I was very, very excited. Warriors is a fantastic show. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's like 1.30 a.m., maybe 2 a.m. in the morning, and I'm on my phone and I'm walking around, and maybe I'm stumbling a little bit. Anyway. I attract the attention of someone desirable. So, then two guys jump out, and one of them boom, puts a gun to my head. Now keep in mind, Bisping was in Cape Town, which is literally about a 16-hour drive from Pretoria. But the point is, in a country where the murder rate is literally six times higher than that of the United States, you get a real picture of how you always have to be on your guard in the country. But if we look at murder and attempted murder, uh, we find that there's an increase and a constant increase. Drukas tells us what that was like for him growing up. Did you see a lot of crime growing up in Pretoria? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We see a lot of crime all the time. Yeah, I guess it's, it's different. If you are an American, you come to South Africa, you would think it's the most amazing place in the world. Firstly, let's say that it is the number one place in the world. I love this place. I love it with everything in me. I love South Africa. But the things that we are used to. if you hear about they broke into your neighbor's house and stuff, everything and it's it's not a big deal because we have been so conditioned because every single house i've ever lived in with my parents have been broken into multiple times while asleep you know they take everything in the house whether you when you're on holiday or i mean four times that i've been asleep with me and my parents everybody asleep in the house they would steal your phone right next to your bed and you wouldn't even know you know you have to know you have to not take matters in your own hands, but as a country, we have to stick up for ourselves because that's the only thing we have. We have a corrupt government. We have a very corrupt police force. Many of these guns aren't coming from criminal networks, but from the police. Chris Prinsloo, a former police colonel, pleaded guilty to selling 2,400 guns to an arms dealer who sold them on to gangsters. But we still have a lot of hope and we have a, an incredible country. The adversity we, f we have faced and that we face on a daily basis we all build different. Nobody else is coming to help you. So no, nobody feels sorry for you. That is how I was raised and that's how a lot of South Africans are raised. So yeah, he pretty much takes that mentality and fighting spirit with him everywhere, which fittingly translates into his career now. But what about his fighting experience? So number eight, beginning martial arts. So being part of a fighting family, like I mentioned, it wasn't long before Drikus began his own journey into the fight game. And for him, it was pretty much at the earliest age possible. I did judo since the age of five till around 10. And I never thought of it. I was, I was really quite good. And then we moved away. And then I took up wrestling for a year or two. Uh, but also not, not too serious. And I wasn't at that stage too crazy about the wrestling because I was so used to the judo with the gi and all that. The, 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 the wrestling, I didn't understand it. And I was just a kid. I, I thought, well, I want to go back to judo because I was really good at it. And not too long after learning the ground side of things, he got into his first big K show era of his career, kickboxing. And then when I stopped the, the wrestling, that's when I started taking up kickboxing. And that was, that was where the, I really loved that. I loved, loved, loved the stand-up. At the age of 14, that's when I really found my love for, for fighting, for MMA, for you know, martial arts in general. And if you're wondering about jujitsu, he started to take that up just a little later than kickboxing. But with fighting such a big focus in his family all growing up, why didn't he do this sooner? 
Yeah, I mean, I didn't train BJJ up until I was 17, 16, 17. Yeah, 17 years old for the first time I trained jiu-jitsu. We had maybe had one school in each, every uh, 50 miles from here, maybe you had one school. The Fighters Only magazines had these uh, little, at the back, they had these little training tips and they'd show a technique of the week, a striking technique, a wrestling technique and a grappling technique. And I would get my brothers and I would train on them. And uh, that's where I got a lot of techniques. I guess for all those people who say you can't train online, <laughs> there's Drickus for you. Of course, he had his brothers to drill all those techniques with, but within a month, he was already competing in tournaments. I was training jiu-jitsu for maybe three, two, three weeks, and I entered my first comp, and my first jiu-jitsu competition, and I think I came second in the absolute division. I mean, it wasn't a massive competition, but I mean, I was a kid and I was uh, competing against grown men. Now, I did, I did great. I knew I had to get a pretty good guillotine, and I know how to um, not tap. <laughs> but there is a lot more to one aspect of his martial arts journey. Number seven, becoming a world champion. I think it's important we focus on this specifically because he wasn't just competing and doing well in kickboxing around this time. He was both a national and world champion level fighter all before the age of 18. I had my first um, uh, amateur kickboxing fight when I was 15 years old. I knew this is something I want to do forever. Never knew that I was going to be a UFC champion, but I knew I loved this more than anything I've ever done. And it grew and it grew up until, I mean, I became a national champion when I was 16 and uh, eventually became a WAKO uh, world champion, K1 world champion uh, when I was 18 years old. And uh, that's when I, I said, I want to do this for a career. That's where I realized MMA is something I want to do for a career. Being a K1 world champion means a lot, but coming from South Africa, if I want to make a living out of this and, and really go all the way, MMA is the way to go firstly. And secondly, I always felt that I wanted to be a complete fighter. I don't want to be somebody that's a great boxer or a great kickboxer and then, you know, you get taken down and you're... Because that was where my mind was at when I was a teenager. Who is going to be the baddest man on the planet? And that's the UFC champion of the world. It's honestly pretty hard to find kickboxing footage around this time of his career, but I did a bit of digging on this and managed to find Rickus's old YouTube channel where he scored presumably one of the fastest K1 knockouts ever at an amateur level. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That felt a little longer than five seconds, if you ask me, like the description of the video says, but it's still super impressive for someone competing at a junior level at around just 16 years of age at that time. But there was another passion that he had before MMA, which competed for his career aspirations. 
Number six, rugby. I can't say I've seen too much rugby as an American if I'm honest, but what I have seen live in stadiums here in England, I've thoroughly enjoyed. And it's pretty cool to see how American football has evolved out of it. If you watch old football footage, you can see some of those similarities from back in the day when they were still a bit more glaring. Like, check out these old jerseys that used to be worn in NFL games, and then compare that with the jersey you see Drickus wearing on the old school South Africa podcast. It's pretty cool to see the shared history between the two sports. And if that isn't already an indication, Drickus is incredibly passionate about rugby, so much so that he was a legitimate prospect in it. I've always been involved in sports, but more rugby. We were we were big rugby uh, guys, both uh, all three of us, both my brothers and myself included. It was my career path that I originally chosen after high school. I wanted to become a springbok. I wanted to play rugby as a, as a career. Again, I'm not going to claim I know a ton about the sport as I haven't spent a lot of time with it and definitely didn't grow up with it, but it is clearly a very brutal sport with a ridiculously fast pace that no doubt many of those competitive characteristics definitely lent straight into the aggressiveness of a combat sport like MMA, but it wasn't enough to keep Drickus from mixed martial arts. So then number five, becoming a college dropout. Some of you may remember when another UFC middleweight star was in his career, Chris Weidman. He's talked at length about the early stages of his MMA career and how awkward it was when his wife was super accomplished and he was just an MMA fighter in the early days making no money. And everyone around, like the closest family members, which is like, Chris, you need to get a real job. You need, like my wife was busting her ass. She was, she was getting her CPA. She was, she, from my daughter, she was pregnant. Uh, you know, I was making no money, $15,000, but slaving. So it was some tough times, man. It's crazy. Well, in the case of Duplessis growing up in a fighting family, things weren't as tough for him in that regard. Obviously, I became, all my friends, the people close to me, they would, they were supporting from the get-go because from high school, everybody that knew me knew that this guy was a world champion K1 fighter. I was a world champion. This is the first time in history in South Africa that we had an amateur wacko world champion. Not to say he didn't ever come across some of those antiquated notions about the sport. Being a cage fighter, I hate being called a cage fighter. I absolutely hate it. When people say we, that don't know the sport would say, so it's like boxing. I would say, yes, it's like boxing. Or they would say, is it like WWE? I would rather say, yes, it's like WWE than try to explain to them that it's cage fighting because cage fighting has a stigma to it. And I'm not a cage fighter. I'm a, I'm a MMA athlete. That's what I am. And so he made the choice to actually drop out in the last year of his university education as an agricultural economics major to focus completely on MMA. My dad asked me, if you make this decision, what are you going to do for, for, for a career? Are you going to become whatever you study? And I said, I don't care. I don't care about the money. I don't care about that. All I know is I'm passionate about this and I love nothing more. And I'll figure it out as we go along. And particularly for his first pro fight, well, that's a really great story of its own. So number four, his first MMA fight. While he was just getting into studying agricultural economics at the University of Pretoria, he was already a very accomplished fighter with plenty of amateur experience, as I mentioned earlier. But it was also during this time that he got the call to come and debut for the most popular MMA promotion in perhaps the entire continent of Africa and certainly the country, 
EFC. So my first program in Mayfield was uh, I was 19, six months after high school. Now, I was the youngest signing by far in the EFC. You know, six months after high school, you don't get that. Now it's more common. And naturally, him being quite a bit younger and still literally a teenager at that point, he used to fight a little lighter, down at 170 pounds or welterweight instead of middleweight like he does now at 185. But on short notice, they needed him to step up. You know, I went out there, short notice fight. I was training with the exact same coach that I'm with, still with today, same team, and uh, they said, we think you're ready, let's go. And I took it and I fought a guy, his name was Tez McQuibu. Yeah, he was such a big guy. At that stage, I was walking around at 185, if I was lucky, and I had to eat. And uh, I remember just walking out there and being absolutely terrified. This grown man had six professional fights. I think he had three wins and three losses. Now, I haven't lost a fight in my life up until that point. You're not an amateur fight. I, I became amateur world champion, didn't lose one single kickboxing fight. And this guy looks massive. This guy, I don't know what to expect. He looks strong. And uh, the first shot of the fight, I remember he just clipped me right on the jaw with a big right hand. That was that was the, the wake up. Like, this is the big leagues now. This is not an amateur fight. You're not fighting a kid. You're not fighting guys doing this for fun. You're fighting guys who do this for, for a living. It was a, it was a tragic fight because I think it was a, the guy caught my leg and as we went to the ground, it was almost like I didn't pull guard, but he pulled my leg in from a front kick and his knee snapped backwards. And I mean, we're friends now, but he's, to this day, the man, he, that guy doesn't walk normally. It was, it was the last fight of his career. And that, to this day, that's for me, something that stands out because that's the fight game. Anything can happen at any single, at any time. And now we're just lucky every time we live to fight another day. Did that experience give you any kind of like pause about fighting? Were you like, oh, whoa, I'm not trying to mess no, no, up my limbs for the rest of my life? Not at all. I thought I knew and I knew it was what I was getting into, but I also just knew that there was nothing else on earth for me. Something I had to do it was something I wanted to do. Uh, I went to the, I went to university could have gotten a degree it was i could have really lived another life uh, there would have been a part of me that would never be fulfilled if i didn't chase this dream because i knew that nothing on earth and up until this day there's nothing i love more than than the sport and so this first fight pretty much set him off to the races even though he was still going to university at the time efc would become his home over the next few years and the success he saw there ultimately made him realize he could drop out with a real career ahead of him in mma so that moves us on to the next phase of his career, number three, becoming double champ. Following that first fight in July of 2013, Drikas Duplessis immediately began making a name for himself in EFC, fighting two more times within just five months to close out 2013. And because of that first fight at middleweight going pretty well, as horrific as it was, he chose to stay in the weight class and kept winning. He did so well, in fact, that by early 2014, he was already 4-0, which made him hard to ignore. So much so that at just age 20, he was already challenging for a world MMA title against the 12-2 Gareth McClellan, who was considered perhaps the most accomplished fighter in the entire continent at that time, and needless to say, a true pioneer for the region. The fight turned out to be a thrilling fight with submission attempts on the part of Duplessis and some excellent ground control through the first two rounds by McClellan. And once the third round came around, this happened. Trying here is McClellan. It looks like Drickus is up, oh, he's up to be honest, as exciting as some of those moments were, this one wasn't very close despite some of those bright spots for Duplessis. 
but it was perhaps just the classic case of being too much too soon for this early stage of his career. His only loss in the EFC the entire time he fought there. Shortly after this, he would finally drop down to what was then definitely more of his natural weight at 170 pounds or welterweight and come back with a vengeance to capture the EFC welterweight title in just his ninth fight in June of 2016. Ironically, the same submission he lost to McClellan with three years earlier. And speaking of vengeance immediately after this, he set his sights on that middleweight title again as well. At that stage, that's when Conor McGregor became the first double division champion. He beat Jose Aldo and now he was going to go for that double division belt. And for me, it was mind blowing because this is something we've never heard about. And and immediately I, my mind shifted. If he can do it, then I can do it. Become a double division champion, do whatever you have to do, get that UFC call. That was what it was all about. And so he did just that. Spectacularly, he captured the middleweight title to again make another statement undoubtedly as the biggest star in EFC promotional history, now claiming his record to 11-1. But surprisingly, in the midst of that, he would find himself leaving the continent to go for one of the world's very best. Number two, KSW. But then you randomly got a call to go to Poland and fight one of the scariest dudes on the planet. How did that come about? How did you end up going to Poland randomly in the midst of that run? I said I want an international opponent. I don't want to fight the local guys anymore because now I had a couple of uh, international guys I fought. And he said he would fight and I fought Rafael Heretic. Rafael Heretic has serious powers. Strickus Duplessis in the bright green. He's a Polish fighter and he was the number one contender for the belt in the UFC and I fought him and, and I beat him. And I became double division champion. That's when the call came from KSW. I had an agent, Michael Milan. He was from the Netherlands and he worked with KSW and he spoke to them and they said, cool, we want a guy at 170 to fight for the belt. So yeah, suddenly he was in Poland and taking on one of the scariest fighters and most devastating champions who's never stepped foot into a UFC cage. He's very careful about Oh, that's Roberto Soldich, or as he's better known, Robocop. And when I tell you these two had an incredible fight, there is no doubting this one. Soldich again, looking for that left. Oh, he got rocked. Down goes the champion with a big shot. That came from nowhere. Duplessis in there. It's all over. This was a complete shock at the time, and not much was known about Duplessis just yet worldwide, and this quickly changed that. So the two would epically end up rematching with Robocop, this time coming out on top after putting forth a much more composed performance to take back that win. You could have definitely argued argued for a third fight if he wanted to had Drica stayed in the promotion, either at welterweight again or middleweight, but there just wasn't enough space in between those first two fights for it to make sense. Instead, Drickus would finish off his stint in the promotion with a solid TKO at middleweight, and then finish out his pre-UFC career with just one more middleweight title fight in EFC again, using his then patented guillotine choke. It's unbelievable how many wins he has from that. And so this chapter would end his pre-UFC saga. And that leads us to number one, chasing the title. From here was a sudden and very last minute call to the UFC. It's pretty much become the default way people usually get signed to the, the promotion when he replaced Adolfo Vieira to fight Marcus Perez on only about three weeks notice and came out performing with flying colors. Can you guess how he won? He was signed to another Oh wait, that wasn't actually a guillotine. Sorry for the fake out. Somehow he's not actually won that way since leaving EFC. But since he's gotten to the UFC in just under three years, he's managed to take on six opponents and finish all of them except for one starting in October of 2020 
and lasting to July of 2023 when he earned his title shot. He was given an opportunity at former champion Adesanya in September 2023 to capture the belt, but had an injury pop up, which is how Sean Strickland stepped in last minute to stage one of the all-time biggest upsets in MMA history. So now the two are set to clash, and let's just say it hasn't been very cordial. Yeah, I think we give him a lot more credit than he deserves in terms of mindset. I don't think he thinks about anything. I think um, he goes out there and he and he fights. He fights the way Sean Strickland fights. He always has, and he's an incredible fighter. I have a lot of respect for him as a fighter. I think he's incredible. Do I think he's a hypocrite? 100%. 100%. Obviously, you no know, childhood trauma or something you can't help, but you know, if you know what it feels like to be at, at uh, the one on the receiving end of such trauma, don't inflict it on others because that's exactly what he does. Bro, you think your dad beat the shit up you? Your dad doesn't have shit on me. I'm gonna show you what it's like to Dragons. beat you. All, every childhood memory you have is gonna come back. The one where you lie in bed at night when your dad thing, comes man. in and he beats the shit I out of you. I will take your fucking soul, you understand me, you fucking pussy? <laughs> you know, like I said, no kid deserves that. No kids deserve to go through that. But if you want to dish it out, you better take it. And you now, like I said, I have mad respect for him as a fighter, even as a person. He's, he's always been a straight up guy. Even the fact that he tried to fight me in the crowd, that was him being a man. What I'm saying is, you know, if you want to dish it out, be able to take it, man, or you're just a hypocrite. It'd be really interesting to see how those words will be seen in the aftermath of this fight, win or lose. So, yeah, guys, what a fight. I want to give a massive shout out to Drickus DuPlessis himself and his management team for participating in this interview. Also, a big shout out to Zach here on the team at MMA on Point for setting the whole interview up. Finally, I want to thank all of you for watching, most importantly, and I want to do a special shout out for our channel members that make content like this possible with our channel champions and Hall of Famers. I am going to be releasing an unedited video of this entire interview for members if you want to sign up and watch that. Anyhow, hope you guys enjoyed the video. Peace.